I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys. And I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. Welcome to this week's show. After a run of fabulous guests, Roshin and I are back this week to talk about the thorny and quite controversial issue of BMI. We have looked at BMI in earlier episodes, but we're going to do a bit more of a deep dive today. We're going to look more closely at the research and we're going to try and unpick how much BMI does actually matter. BMI came up on my radar, I think it was early noughties, and there was a big splashy headline about Victoria Beckham's BMI and that it was on the lowish side. I think she was like 18 or something like that. And then, of course, I furiously went off and Googled, what's 18? What does it mean? And I can remember thinking like myself and many girls that I know at that time would have just gone by the scales, just that number on the scales and then some kind of imaginary number that you want to be. I think BMI was the first time I went, oh, I actually have to work at my height. It took a bit of calculation. It's more than just your weight on the scale. So for our listeners who aren't so sure yet, maybe you're new to this whole fertility journey. Your BMI looks at your weight and your height. So the idea is it's supposed to give better rounded number than just being on the scale. Because, you know, Roshin and I are different heights. We could weigh the same and look completely different. One of us might be considered healthier. One of us might be considered less healthy just because we're purely a different height. The idea of BMI is it's supposed to take all of that into consideration, which when you first think about it, you go, yeah, great. What's the problem? Okay, we'll kind of look at the pros and cons of it in just a minute. You're considered underweight if you have a BMI of less than 18.5. A normal range is from 18.5 to 24.9. Overweight is considered to be 25 to 29.9. And then obese is considered a BMI of 30 or higher. So that's just to give you a little bit of context for what BMI kind of means. And it's used in all different ways. But yeah, you're right. People kind of switch from just looking at the number on the scales to this idea of BMI. But what you just said is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I remember seeing, I think it was a clip from someone, a really good person I follow on Instagram, and she does a lot of work on body image. She showed clips of women being body shamed. There was an episode with Jerry Halliwell and she was being interviewed. And in the interview by, I don't know, it might be Pierce Morgan or someone, but I can't remember, genuinely can't remember. They actually weigh her on the show. Do you know what it was? What was it? It was TFI Friday. It wasn't Jerry Halliwell. It was Victoria Beckham. Well, we've seen two then. We've seen two different ones. Have we? But it's terrible. She had just had a baby. Yeah, and he was saying, oh my God, you look so fantastic, which she did. They pulled out a set of scales for her. Yeah, they did that with Jerry Halliwell. It's insane. So there, there could be a whole episode here just on women and body image. Obviously, we're here to talk about fertility and the importance of BMI, but just to set the context a bit, it's a whole very thorny issue. Thorny, but unfortunately, all too common. But BMI really became important for you, Maria, when you started on your fertility journey. Did you realise that this was going to become such an indicator in your life? No. Like many people out there, I've lost a lot of weight in my time. So in my first year of university, I did the thing where you put on a load of weight. Second year of university, I decided to lose all of the weight. And it was hard and... It was probably one of the first times I was actually aware of weight. By the time it then came to 
my own fertility journey, I was aware of weight because I knew that I'd put on weight and I knew that I'd lost a lot of weight, but I'd never considered it in terms of BMI. And it wasn't until I started this journey that I had any inkling whatsoever that BMI was even remotely a factor when it came to fertility. I'd just done it because I did sport at university, I did karate, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. I wanted to be fit and healthy. When it came to my fertility journey, luckily for me, a lot of my healthy habits were in place from the last 10 years of just wanting to do sport. But it was a completely different and actually in some ways quite a sad way because it wasn't just to be fit and healthy anymore, it was to jump through hurdles. In the fertility world, so much of it is hinged around this BMI and it's kind of used as a one number tells all. In the fertility world, your BMI needs to be 29 or lower, generally speaking. If you go to a private clinic, sometimes they will accept BMIs that are higher than that. So again, it depends on the clinic that you're at. It also depends slightly on who you are as an individual, why you're having fertility treatment in the first place. But generally speaking, that's the rule. And the idea is that if your BMI is within that particular range, it's supposed to be an indication that you're healthy and that your body fat isn't too high. And that's from my understanding, the idea behind using the BMI measure. What exact treatment are you being, I suppose, banned from if you're over 30? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that one, it does depend on the clinic and who your doctors are. The kind of background to it is the research splits this whole journey up into certain sections, if you like. There is the getting pregnant in the first place, and then there's the staying pregnant, and then there's the recovery after pregnancy. Anyone that's new to the fertility journey or anyone that's been on the fertility journey for a while, you will very quickly learn that when you're talking about fertility, it isn't just the getting pregnant bit, it's the whole of it. And unfortunately, it does seem to impact the maintaining of the pregnancy, recovery afterwards, even things like um, what type of delivery you have, whether you have a C-section or a vaginal, and you know, I've had both for different reasons. I think the easiest way to talk about this is to chunk it slightly. So when it comes to getting pregnant in the first place, the reason that they want you to have a lower BMI is because excess body fat, it's basically a live tissue. Because it's a live tissue, it's not just sitting there doing nothing. It can actually interfere with your hormones. It can interfere with ovulation. There was a really nice quote that I found from, um, it was an article in Forbes Health from a doctor called Brooke Hodes-Wertz, and I apologise if I've pronounced that incorrectly. He's a reproductive endocrinologist, and the way he said it was, fat tissue is essentially an endocrine, which just means hormone, organ, which secretes substances that, when in excess, have an impact on your fertility. So what he's saying is, fat is a live tissue, it's doing things, and for some people, the concern is that that might stop you ovulating. This thing that happens to be attached to your hips or your ass it is actually part of you and it is creating hormonal changes within your body that may not be ideal for conception. Yeah, the key with this is everybody is different. There will be slight differences and it might be that one point on your BMI doesn't make that much difference. Like we've talked about in previous episodes, when it comes to fertility, the way I view it is every little nudge that you can do to get you in the right direction is really, really important. It might be that you drop two points on your BMI or two percentage on your BMI, but that's just enough to just make your body composition that little bit more optimal to both get pregnant and then support a healthy pregnancy and i think it was you saying roshin in an earlier episode you said i think it was you that you knew someone who when they went above a certain weight their ovulation cycle just it just it just went and i can see roshin's nodding here but it just completely went and then she gets back under and it comes back again it's amazing and you know we know that that's anecdotal evidence roshin and i are both reasonably scientifically minded but for some people it can have that big an effect so like we've always said it's holistic 
it's better to be safe than sorry. And of course, there are people out there that have high BMIs that get pregnant. Of course there are. And there are a lot of people out there who, who don't agree with this particular issue. But with my kind of science brain on, I have looked into this a lot and there is a lot of research out there. It's also things like, it's not just that it interferes with ovulation, there's also research that shows that just having that extra fat can make procedures harder. Again, it sounds really, I even hate saying it out loud, like it sounds really unkind, but it's things like it can make egg collection harder, it can make scans harder, it might make your response to Clomid that little bit harder or Letrozole that little bit harder. We're not saying it's impossible, it's just that every little nudge in the right direction and by the time you come to fiddle the treatment, you're probably that little bit older. You're probably that little bit more weary. And it's just about doing everything you can to get yourself in the best possible shape. That's all we're trying to do. And a lot of the research does suggest that as well. Unfortunately, I wish it didn't, but it does. It's funny that you should say about the procedures like egg collection and scans. It actually happened to a friend of mine who was, she was quite obese, had no problem conceiving and all that kind of thing. When she was trying to scan at her 12-week scan and 20-week scan, they couldn't get reads. Just to be conscious that this layer of fat that is messing around with our hormones and maybe triggering us in ways that we don't really understand might be taking our, our natural cycle out of balance. Gaff had also blocked certain procedures that you really want to have you definitely want to see those scans just to make sure everything is fine. I think you said that really nicely, actually. I think it's just about keeping your, if you have a natural cycle, is trying to keep that in balance. It's just, we are essentially walking biochemistry. You know, if you take the philosophy out of it and the romance out of it, we are, we are walking cells, we're walking biochemistry. And you don't want anything to get in the way of that. You don't want toxins to get in the way of that. We are supposed to be a kind of healthy weight, not too skinny, not too big, just to allow our bodies and homeostasis and all of that just to work as well as possible. And that's the idea. It's just trying to keep you within your own individual natural healthy range. And when you talk about the actual pregnancy side of it, and I'm just going to give a little trigger warning here because we are just going to just loosely talk about um, the possibility of pregnancy loss. And I know a lot of people listening, unfortunately, will have gone through that. And so if you don't want to talk about that, then, you know, please do stop listening now. When it comes to being pregnant and staying pregnant, then unfortunately, again, the excess, the higher BMI has been linked to um, greater risk of complications during pregnancy. And again, it's not to say that if you're overweight, you cannot have a healthy pregnancy. And I would like to make it very clear here that I am in no way saying that if you have experienced pregnancy loss, it is because of your weight. Okay, I would like to make that very, very, very clear here. That's not what we're saying at all. It's all about just putting nudges in the right direction. Unfortunately, what the research has shown is that being overweight in pregnancy can lead to problems for the mother and the child. So it can be linked to complications in pregnancy, just including things like gestational diabetes and high blood pressure. There is some research that suggests that women that are overweight are more likely to need a C-section. I would like to say, in my last pregnancy, I got gestational diabetes and I also had a C-section and I wasn't overweight. So we are looking at the research because we want to be honest and there is research that suggests that being within a healthy weight range is optimal. But also these things can happen to anybody and there is no blame here at all within this podcast. This is what the research has shown and we want to be honest with people. The other thing is, of course, looking at research for different groups of people. Roshan and I are very aware that we are both <laughs> pale and white, shall we say, and we are very aware of this. And we are aware that not everybody looks like me and Roshan. I was quite interested in research around this and I came across a piece of research carried out in Qatar. Um, and we do have some listeners actually from the Middle East, so hello and welcome to you. But one study was carried out in Qatar and this is available to read in the British uh, Medical Journal. And they were looking at difference in kind of subgroups of women and they found that non-Arab women 
who were obese were at high risk for preeclampsia and preeclampsia can be very very dangerous they also went on to look at more general groups and again they found that other problems associated with bmi could be like we said before pregnancy induced hypertension to so high blood pressure they found that the, the babies could be large for their gestational age and they also find a link with preterm delivery as well which obviously isn't something that you want with a child they also find a link with again having c-sections as well so their suggestion was regardless of ethnicity for those particular points things were better if you had a normal bmi again it's just everything nudging in the right direction less complications if you have a bmi within the normal range and that's why people come to you. I know you've beautifully expressed that there is no judgment here and there really isn't. But we're also about solutions to this problem. And a lot of your fertility journey is completely outside your control. If you have polycystic ovaries, endometriosis, unexplained, that's all out of your control. You can't do anything about that. So the only way I know I could cope in this situation is to work out what can I control? What can I do to, as you say, inch or nudge the process along absolutely it's the lack of control it's massive you don't know what's going to happen loads of really unpredictable things happen one of the few things you can try and control is your health and that is actually why a lot of people come and speak to me they're like look i can't control this 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 is i can't fix my endometriosis but what i can do is i can try and lower my bmi i can try and work on my mental health and i can just watch my diet a bit it doesn't have to be extreme and it isn't extreme and we've talked before about extreme is bad so just taking back control and it can make a real difference. What if losing that half a stone makes a significant difference to you? What if losing a stone just makes you have a healthier pregnancy? That's what we're trying to do here. It might make the difference that you need. That's what I want to try and help you with. It's interesting when you were saying earlier that you thought that the BMI measure was really trying to get to the body fat percentage. I'm going to get on my high horse a bit here, but I think that when people talk about BMI, what they're actually trying to get to is body fat. I'm not a doctor and I know that, but looking at the research, they start off by talking about BMI, but then they just go on to talk about your body fat because they say, you've got a high BMI. The problem is that your body fat interferes with ovulation. What I'm interested in is maybe we should start looking at body fat rather than BMI. Again, people talk about this all the time, but the rugby players, the football players, the American football players, the female athletes, you know, look at the sprinters. There is no fat on those women. They are amazing athletes. They are in the prime of their life. Their BMI is going to be quite possibly over 29. So technically, they would not qualify for fertility treatment. So what they're looking at, I think, is body fat. And so for me, what I'm interested in, and I'm going to keep looking into this, is I think body fat would be better than BMI. Now, Roshan, I know that you have had your body fat measured. <laughs> and I know it was such a joyful experience for you. For our listeners who are perhaps uneducated in the ways of measuring body fat, would you care to share? I only know of three ways of doing it. First one is you buy one of the fancy scales. You pay the extra five, ten quid, and you get the one that you put in your age and your sex, your height, and it will give you a body fat number. It may not be accurate. It doesn't particularly matter as long as you just kind of use that scale and that's your guide. By the way, women do not need to go massively low on their body fat percentage. Like I know you got all those ripped guides on Instagram. that are like five and six percent body fat. That is only for the day of the shoot. And they go and eat all the McDonald's afterwards. Women really don't need to be any less. Like if you really want to be ripped, you're going to be in the teens if you're a woman. I had a PT that did the calipers and that is to take various parts of your body. They grab your fat and they measure it. 
you have to be with someone who really knows what they're doing. Then you have to use the exact same points on your body every time. Uh, the guy that I was with was amazing. It was after I had my first daughter and I was trying to get back into shape and I just couldn't quite work out what bit of me was ex-baby bloating and what was actually, you know, legitimate fat that I had to actually try and get off. The third thing I used, I thought was really effective, but it is a bit pricey, is a DEXA scan. A DEXA scan is, it sends electrical pulses through your body, measures things as it goes, measures muscle mass, how much water is in your system, your bone health and density. And it also will give you an exact fat percentage this is definitely the most accurate way to do it i think it was like about 65 pounds for me to get it done so obviously you're not going to use this every week or every month to work out your body fat percentage it's really good as a starting point to know how you're doing quickly and accurately i think of all of them by the scales if you're just going to be hopping on and off the scale same scales in the same place at the same time once a week you will get a pretty good guide about where you are and where you're going those scales, just to jump in, the way they tend to work is they basically pass a very light electrical current and they measure the resistance through your body. And that's supposed to give an indication of your body fat composition. Like you've said, they're not the most reliable of methods. They will give a general indication of if you're going up or down. And to be honest, a lot of the time, until you are actually aiming for that appointment on that Tuesday morning where they're going to weigh you in, to begin with, you just need to know if it's going in the right direction. Maria, what should women be aiming for in terms of body fat percentage? In the fertility land, we're not aiming for being ripped, like you were saying earlier. Mid-20s is usually okay. You know, a lot of women are kind of mid to late 20s. It, I can't give an exact number because it depends on who you are. You don't want to be ripped because when it comes to a low BMI, let, when I say ripped, I mean low body fat, you could actually see abdominal muscles, okay? Because as we all know, abs are made in the kitchen, people. And all that means is your abs are actually low body fat. Everybody has abdominal muscles because if you didn't, we wouldn't be able to stand up. But when it comes to low BMI, and by low BMI, I'm going to clarify and say low body fat, okay? But people would say low BMI. There is actually a link between your BMI being too low and problems in pregnancy as well. We're not just talking about high BMI here. And there are people who do have a low BMI and there are for all kinds of reasons and they do struggle to put on fat. But low BMI has also been associated with a higher risk of miscarriage. And there was one nice piece of research I looked at and they said, um, to quote them, that the risk of miscarriage is not linear, but it's actually U-shaped. There's a higher risk of miscarriage in both underweight and obese women. So again, it's just that sweet spot is just in the middle. If someone was listening saying, okay, I'm going to start looking at my body fat percentage. I'll do my BMI to know where I am, but I'll also buy one of those scales. What advice would you give them just straight out the gate of things that they can do that can really start bringing down that BMI number? So what I would suggest is start small and do not make any drastic changes. And I know that you've probably heard me say this on many a podcast episode, but it is because I believe it to be 100% true. Look at your nutrition. And by look at your nutrition, please do not overcomplicate it. Do not start Googling macros. Do not start going on any mad diet. Just try and do really simple things like eat broccoli. Okay, eat some greens. All I'm going to say is start by eating some greens, eat some nice healthy beans. The reason being they're really nutritious, they've got loads of good stuff in them and they fill you up. Okay, so just start really, really easily when it comes to what you are actually eating. And if it's too much to look at 
two of your three meals a day, just start with the meal that you have most time to prepare, that you are least stressed when preparing in the day, and just say to yourself, I'm going to try and bring in some green stuff here. Okay, just start really nice and simple. A nice easy swap when it comes to things like carbs. And you do need carbohydrates. Do not cut out the carbs, but you need carbohydrates. But you can have slightly healthier carbs. Say sweet potato is a winner. Chuck it in the oven. Little bit of salt on top. Happy days. Okay, they taste really good. Get in some really nice healthy fats. So again, you've got things like your avocado. Yes, it is fat, but it's absolutely delicious and it's really good for you. Some really nice protein. Maybe get some eggs in. Just keep it really nice and simple. And I'm a great fan of the kind of Buddha bowls at the minute because they really take that box. So just start nice and small, make some nice little gentle substitutions wherever you can. And then when it comes to exercise or movement, and I, I, what I'm about to say, I mean wholeheartedly, if you don't do anything at the minute, other than the absolute basic requirement, just start with five minutes of walking. I'm not saying that to patronise people, I mean that genuinely from the bottom of my heart. Just get up and do five minutes of walking and then just gradually build up. Do not do too much too soon because you will feel rubbish, you will release cortisol, you will go into a stress response and you will hurt. Do five minutes of walking and a couple of days time do 10 minutes of walking. Just put your trainers on and off you go. So just start really small. To begin with, it's not necessarily about the calories you're burning. It's just to help you take back control to help you feel proud of yourself, to help build up your self-esteem and to help you feel like you're doing something to make a difference. And that means you'll keep coming back. And that is genuinely from the bottom of my heart, what I would suggest for people. Absolutely. Do not starve yourself. It will not work. You could keep it up for three days or even three weeks, but it's bad for you. Don't do it. It's not a long term strategy. No. The thing I've been doing recently and I've been trying to explain to my kids like what actually they should be eating and what proportions. And I came across this. I thought this was really handy. The palm of your hand is protein. OK, so just the circle on your palm of your hand is the amount of protein that should be on your plate. Cool. We got that. Make a fist. That should be your vegetables. Roughly around the size of your fish should be your vegetables. These proportions are based on your hand, so therefore it's your plate. You can cup your hand, like a little cup, that's carbs. So you're trying to get that many carbs. And then fat is like the top of your thumb. So from your bendy bit of your thumb, from the joint to the top of your thumb, that's basically the amount of fat. So, you know, if you're chucking butter into something and you just don't know how much to put in. That's not a lot of fat, Roisin. This is really, really useful, by the way, but that's not a lot of fat, is it? This is what they said. If you need a little bit more avocado in your life, you go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And also try and enjoy it. I know that sounds crazy, but if you start to enjoy the journey of maybe adding new foods in, trying new recipes, then you have this virtuous circle of you're eating better, so therefore you're moving more. You're feeling more tired because you're moving more. So you're getting better sleep. So you're less stressed and, and around we go again. And eventually, it may not seem like it in the early days, but it does become a virtuous circle. I always feel better when I'm in that circle as opposed to being out spiraling somewhere else. Yeah, virtuous circle. I think that's really helpful. So you've got eating according to your own kind of body measurements with your hand and then your virtuous circle. Really like that. Yeah, it's good. Get some exercise. So it'll help you with your stress, it'll help you with your sleep, it will help you with your libido, your sense of self, how you feel in the world, how you feel in your clothes. You know you're doing right by yourself and your partner and putting yourself in the very best position that you can in order to conceive. Around you go again. And after a while, broccoli doesn't taste too bad. It really doesn't. <laughs> On that note, what will we be discussing next week? I'm very excited. We have a very special guest. We are delighted to welcome Rachel from the Fertility Suite on our show. She and her colleagues have a goal and they want to offer natural reproductive medical treatment of the highest quality to everybody that they support. And they do a lot of amazing work around fertility. So tune in for next week. It's going to be amazing. 
definitely join us for that. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.